Right, hello, welcome to the the final episode of the Big Football Podcast of 2020. Um, believe it or not, we've uh, come to the end of another year, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. And Cam. Good evening. How was your um, tier four Christmas, gents? <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Dan can't complain in, in the circumstances. Still plenty of uh, booze consumed and uh, and turkey eaten. Yeah, pretty much same here. I'll <laughs> yeah, wash down you. with some Martin Tyler just to make sure that you do nod off to sleep. Mm. Indeed. Um, if we if we get cracking straight away, then gents, uh, the the kind of like the, the most recent news, um, the Everton against Manchester City game has been called off um, due to an outbreak of COVID at Manchester City. Um, they had a couple of tests, but came back positive over Christmas and. They seem to have kind of accelerated over the last 48 hours and City asked for the game to be called off and the FA um, decided to go along with that, mostly for judging from what I've read for the protection of, of probably Everton. Mm. Um, it's a, it was a huge game in the context of of the title race, which we'll, we'll come back to later on. But I, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm really surprised there's not been more games called off. Yeah, I think we've done quite well, haven't we, Dan? It's only the second one. I know Newcastle had one, didn't they, a few weeks ago? Yeah. Um, to have got, what are we, nearly halfway through the season or around halfway through the season and to only have lost at this stage two games to, to postponements because of COVID. Um, you know, I mean, that's a slightly bizarre world to be in, but that is the world we're in. And I think it probably is not a, not a bad run that the Premier League's had. Clearly, this is an outbreak at Manchester City now. Um, I think it started with Jesus and uh, um, Kyle Walker, didn't it, missed the game the other day. And now the same multiple members of the playing and, and management staff uh, potentially contracted it. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what, what that means, not just for this game, but obviously at this time of year, there are games thick and fast. And Man City being sort of in lockdown for three or four days could potentially mean two or three games Um been moved about so it's one to keep an eye on definitely I think the FA have taken and the Premier League have taken the right decision I, I think in postponing it to make sure that there's no risk of spread to Man, uh, to, to Everton but I think they'll also want to want to investigate the circumstances of the of the spread at Manchester City because um, you know this may just be one of those unfortunate things uh, and, and Manchester City have, have, have acted quickly but but unfortunately, you know, once it's once it's in a place, it spreads quickly. Um, but equally, they'll want to make sure that the proper protocols have been followed. Because if they weren't, then you would think Manchester City will probably have some some disciplinary um, issues to deal with as well. Just before you come in as well, Khan, sorry, I, I just want to, to point out that as 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 I was kind of like turning over from the, the Leicester game onto the Chelsea game uh, on Amazon, um, Gabby Logan was saying that. Like Newcastle will now be frantically looking to to see. Well, you know, we've already had this happen, but like, are we going to have it happen to, to, again? Because they played Manchester Manchester City on Boxing Day, and I'm watching it carefully because we play Newcastle on Wednesday. Yeah, it's a good point, Dan, and that and that's what I, that's what I was trying to get at. The, the the closeness of the games means if this man if this Manchester City outbreak is a is a real problem, then it, it isn't potentially just one game and it isn't potentially just Man City games the the whole schedule for this time of year which is let's say compressed in the best of times um, is going to become really really difficult to manage there is a big risk we won't get all the football all the time that's the (laughs) we can't be having that (laughs) yeah no um, but no, I think um, you know we have to take a, a you know a safety first approach. Um, so I think, like I say, don't know the the reasons behind it. As as Paul said, will be investigated, and we'll wait for that to happen rather than sort of speculate on what may or may not have happened to cause the outbreak. But if there is one, then I think um, yeah, you have to act swiftly, and you know for for a lot of the reasons that that Paul said really. So and 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 you're right, you know we have done well that. It, hasn't actually been as disruptive given the amount of people involved you know in each Premier League club and the amount of traveling and so on that they do that it it clearly has been managed quite well um generally you know it would be the conclusion you draw the, the fact that there hasn't been you know more games postponed or more disruption 
Um, and perhaps it's arguably a bit inevitable that it has come at this time because of all the congestion. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that Christmas is a time where, you know, based on rules or whatever, people do perhaps gather more than they, you know, than they would normally or whatever. It perhaps isn't a shock that it's come just, you know, a couple of days after Christmas Day or after the Boxing Day games. Um, so maybe if it was ever going to happen, it would be probably at this sort of like pinch point of the season where, you know, there's games constantly and therefore travel between you know obviously clubs clubs go into away fixtures and so on there's just generally more movement around and in a shorter space of time um so perhaps yeah isn't isn't a big surprise that it's happened now but yeah fingers crossed if they've acted swiftly that they are able to contain it because the sort of domino effect you know as you've said paul could be you know quite brutal across the schedule and then that just causes further headaches because we're already trying to cram in uh, all the football all the time into not that much time <laughs> and if they have to do even more of that then that's just going to take an even greater toll but given that we've had a very sort of injury prone season as well it could really make the second half of the season you know really quite tough um, so yeah hopefully they're able to nip it in the bud and, and, and keep it contained and it doesn't prove to be overly disruptive but I think the next few days will be interesting to see what what details emerge and, and whatever further action uh, ends up being taken. I think the only safe thing to do is to end the league season with the the, the table as is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but then then are we ending it and declaring it, Dan, or are we ending it and just voiding the season? See, I think if there was an outbreak this early, I don't think Liverpool would get given a title. I think I think this would definitely be voided. Well, I know what I'd do. Whether, 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 whether the Premier League would follow suit or not, I don't know. I do believe a conversation took place earlier uh, before the season started with regards to what would happen. And I think one yeah. of the, the solutions proposed was if 19 games has been played, then... Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure be. they've got, because of what happened in, in the springtime, I'm sure that they've got a sort of set of principles that the clubs are at least loosely signed up to um, that they would try and apply in those circumstances in terms of thresholds of number of games also potentially you know what does the point difference look like at, at, at that, that stage I mean let's all just cross our fingers and hope it doesn't come to that yeah let's I yeah. mean I, I'm sure no one's looking on with as much stress as you were for because we don't want to be cancelling the pressures again um but yeah, yeah um, the, the 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 Euros will be will be the one with the biggest sweat on at the moment I imagine yeah I, I think with the with the Euros the the point that we've talked about previously as well about this plan to play it across the continent is at, at some at some point somebody's got to take a sensible call on that surely yeah and i think that's kind of what i was sort of alluding to as well about the the fixtures being crammed in it's partly to get everything done so that we can still play the euros um and the more that that pressure happens then that that you know within the league that then has that knock on effect of you know can we finish a season in time to start, you know, to be prepared to some level <laughs> or degree to then play in international tournaments as well. Um, and obviously we're only talking about one nation in here, so I'm not saying that a problem in the Premier League would impact, you know, the entire tournament. But, uh, you know, equally it's also feasible that similar things can still happen in those in other countries as well. So it's uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be touch and go right the way through the second half of the season. Um but yeah, I haven't heard anything on the tournament itself as to whether someone's officially said it's not going to be played across Europe. I mean, it seems madness that it would be. Um, I'd imagine it's still 50-50 whether it even just goes ahead, you know, even in one country. Um, I know we said, I think, didn't we discuss before that they were they were talking about, um, you know, potentially holding it in like maybe France or Germany or something like that. But I don't know if anything more came out. Yeah, the, there was a rumour that the contingency plans were, I think, in quotes, being worked on. Um, mm. I, I, I might suggest that they need to get them out of the drawer and work on them again, <laughs> given, yeah. given where we are. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, d- despite the um, ramblings of Professor Carol Sikora, um, the, the real experts were, were generally saying that it was going to get worse before it got better. And with the vaccine being on the horizon, you know, like, I imagine... Come come late summer when most people in, in this country anyway have had it, it will kind of settle down naturally. But until then, it's going to be rolling lockdowns by the looks of it. Mm. But uh, I'm not an expert on COVID, rather like uh, Professor Carol Sikora. <laughs> um, 
who, who, if, 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 if for, for those of you who don't listen regularly, he blocked me on Twitter because I called him out for being, let's just say, not the most accurate, and he didn't like it, and he blocked me. He won't be the only person to have ever blocked you on Twitter, though, Dan. I suspect, <laughs> I, I suspect you might be right, but at, at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a lot more mild-mannered on Twitter than I used to be because I use it less. <laughs> that's probably the, the the key to it i think probably um if if we move on from my twitter habits then to uh, a title race which to the detriment of my blood pressure liverpool are trying to make interesting um it's i mean until two weeks ago tottenham looked right in it and suddenly they're eighth we are in a tight one you know, like it, games are coming thick and fast and all it takes is for you to drop a few points and it can drastically skew where you are um, I mean f- for me I thought Liverpool were criminal yesterday having got in front not killing the game off because I mean effectively as, as a friend of mine said West Brom bored us into conceding and that's that's what happened in the end it was a poor performance West Brom deserved the goal I think it was, it was a moronic goal to concede but West Brom deserved a point in the end and you know, United and Leicester fell it over each other literally to get a draw. Um, Chelsea were, were proper bounced out, but we'll, we'll come to them properly in a bit. Um, they were bounced out by Arsenal. You know, it, it's just it's it's all a bit mad. Yeah, I, I think on Liverpool, Dan, um, to to start, it, it, it reminded me a little bit. Um, of the game that Liverpool played against Spurs recently. Not that they were as good as they were in that first half against Tottenham, but I thought in that game Liverpool were were really good for, for 45 minutes and then just never quite found their rhythm again in the second half. I don't pretend that they were as impressive in the first 45 minutes last night. Um, I, I think right from the start they were a little bit off. But I thought they played well enough in that first 45 minutes to kind of you know, make it an extremely one-sided game. And obviously West Brom were playing 11 behind the ball and very, very deep. But Liverpool kept their concentration and kept their focus. I felt like after half-time, they never kind of regained that concentration. And I, it, there was almost this, even as a neutral watching, it was almost this creeping sense of sort of anxiety the longer the game went. Yep. Maybe as someone who would just quite like to see Sam Allardyce get relegated. But West <laughs> Brom were going to get an opportunity and, and fashion an equaliser and, and that's kind of how it came. Yeah, the frustrating thing for me is the equaliser was so avoidable. It, it, it was coming anywhere. Carl and Grant should have scored before that when he, he made Reese Williams look like he was running backwards through treacle. Uh, I mean, And this is a kid who, who marked Harry Kane completely out of a game like, 10 days ago. And yeah, uh, it, it was it was all a bit of a mess. Yeah, I think with 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 Liverpool, I, I don't quite share your sort of pessimism, Dan. It and, and I think the reason for that is, well, I guess the simple reason I, I still think you're the best team out there by by some distance and the best squad yeah, in terms of the quality you've got. And every, everyone else, as we've kind of alluded to, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of the other teams in this you know, quote-unquote title race, whether we're officially allowed to call it that, I don't know. I think we have to wait for Sky. Um, but, um, but, you know, everyone else has, you know, big consistency problems, and we've already touched on a couple of those clubs like Spurs and Chelsea and so on, um, and, and Man United even as well. So, But the way I see it is it might be one of those seasons where we don't get a necessarily a great side winning it, but it but it might be one of those where like the, the best worst side wins it, if you know what I mean. Um, if you think back to the last couple of seasons, obviously, you know, Liverpool fully deserved it last year. And before that, you know, we had City with, you know, with these ridiculous points totals. And you have to hold, even as a fan of a rival club, you just have to hold your hand up and say, yeah, do you know what? They've, they've built a great side and they've, and they fully deserved it. And they've, they've steamrolled the rest of the league. It doesn't look like we're going to have one of those seasons. It's probably going to be the most comparable to the season Leicester won it. Um, who may indeed win it this season, we don't know, but it feels like more of that kind of season where teams are just going to be, you know, looking likely and then chucking away chances. And it'll probably, you know, as we've said, the points gaps are, are really close. So uh, every game or two, uh, teams are swapping around. And it, it kind of feels like that's sort of setting the tone um, for how the season's 
going to go and then it will just be whoever's you know whoever's left top of the pile will win it but I still think Liverpool are in in the driving seat to do that they've obviously got the experience now from you know winning the league last year the Champions League before they're a mentally strong team I know you've got some injuries but you've still got some pretty handy players you can still field in there and whilst yes you know drawing to you know newly promoted teams is never a good look for champions I, I still think I wouldn't be too disheartened by it you know the Christmas season always throws up you know, a few dodgy results here and there. So I, I do still think that it will level out. And, um, I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be currently betting on anyone else except Liverpool to win it, in all, in all honesty. But that doesn't mean that it won't be a bit more of an exciting ride. Um, so from a sort of neutral perspective, it's, it's great to see teams in the mix. But I just think that all those other teams have too many consistency issues and if you throw in potential injuries or whatever that you know that we'll inevitably see I, I, I just still firmly see Liverpool finishing top of the pile I, I kind of um, I, I prefer like the teacups calm when it comes to uh, a wild ride I, I, I don't like exciting title races can we just have some, <laughs> something a little bit more sedate than, than um, a, a wild race please so I, I think yeah I I think I agree with Con that ultimately I think Liverpool will still have the fewest hiccups of the teams that are likely to be in it. But I think we have to look at the the, the table now and and see it as we are after, you know, some teams have played fifteen, some have played fourteen, you know, a couple have already played sixteen. Um and and to me, Liverpool are uh I think six points ahead of Manchester City and Manchester City have a game in hand. Now a three-point gap after after 15 games if Manchester City were to win that game in hand. And as we've already touched on, they may soon have two games in hand and then fixture congestion comes into the mix as well. They are not far enough ahead of Manchester City to feel anywhere near comfortable, despite the fact that City themselves have had some strange results early in this season. Um, I think Manchester United are still in that mix. They're a point ahead of City with the same games. Um the, the thing that would encourage me if I was sitting in Khan's position as a Manchester United fan is at the start of the season, it was their home form that was letting them down. They've been extremely good away from home. Now, I always think that home forms the sort of thing that is bound to come right eventually for the big clubs. Um, you know, you, I remember the year, uh, the year Arsenal won the double in 2 and I think we got to Christmas, we'd lost three times, but all three uh, defeats were at home. And I felt like, even though it was nip and tuck at the top, I felt like we're in a great position because eventually the home form will click in. And if we keep playing like this away from home, we're going to be very, very difficult to stop. And I kind of feel a little bit like that with Manchester United, that if they can keep their away form going, I'm not concerned about their home form. It, it, it is getting better. It will get there. Um, so I think those three teams are in it. I think the likes of Leicester and Everton probably aren't. I just don't know whether they'll have the, the depth. We talked about Leicester last time. I just don't know whether they'll have enough to make it the whole way through. Um, and then again, we'll come on to, to Chelsea shortly, but I, I'm not sure Spurs are there. I think the conversations we've had in recent weeks about Tottenham, about them maybe being a bit one-dimensional, it's get one nil up and then you know put up the barricades. Jose said last night he wasn't telling his team to play deep. Well, if he wasn't, then they weren't doing what he was telling them because they were getting extremely deep. Um, and again, I felt the Wolves equaliser in that game was just an inevitability. Uh, so Well-deserved well sure. too. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely well deserved, and I think Spurs are just not not got enough different ways to win for me. So I I, I do think it's probably Liverpool, and then the two Manchester teams, um, and and we will have a race. I suspect Liverpool will still come out on top of it, but I think we're going to go deep into the season with some sort of title race issue. Whereas I know we'd played more games this time last year because we started earlier, but. Um, Basically, by Boxing Day last year, I think we all knew Liverpool had pretty much got it in the bag. Even you, Dan, even you as a pessimist, yes. must have felt pretty good <laughs> about where Liverpool were coming out of the Christmas fixtures last year. Mm. Yeah, the, 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 the moment I thought it was, I felt it was going to be our year was the, the, the result of Villa Park when we, we scored twice in the last yeah. three minutes to win the game. In terms of when did I kind of... Uh, I kind of knew all season. I, I just thought it was going to be. Our, it just felt like our year. Um, certainly, despite COVID 19s best efforts, 
uh, they were probably our closest contender, to be honest. Yeah, I think what's quite amusing, just one thing to throw in around, we've talked about how, you know, you can move up and down after a result or two. The current, based on the current as-is table, West Ham are 10th with 22 points and Liverpool are top with 32 points. Like, when has there ever been, after the Christmas fixtures, only 10 points separating the top 10 in the Premier League. Has that ever even happened or how many years do you have to go back? Because I bet it's a while because obviously the last few years, either one of Liverpool or City or both of them have been <laughs> miles ahead of the chasing pack. So it's definitely been a few seasons. Um, but uh, that just, I think, highlights, you know, just how close it is. And that's why I think it will be, you know, quite exciting. Um, just because, like you say, a, a game or two can can swing things either way. And you can well, go you look, from... You look at Southampton... I think mm. we were talking about Southampton in the top four maybe two weeks ago, and now they're ninth. And, yeah. and they've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. they've not fallen off a cliff. It's just, yeah. as you say, one or one or two drop yeah. points at the moment that makes a big difference in this table. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the discussion about you know Spurs is is interesting. I only had sort of half an eye on, on the game, but it seems to be the consensus from everyone who watched it is exactly what you said, Dan, that you know, basically... You know, Tottenham got the sort of just desserts, and and it, it does seem like they're kind of reverting to that very, you know, old school Mourinho, you know, one way of playing. Um, and but I, I just think it's it's amusing that you know people talked about how, you know, when he was at United, for example, how he, you know he seemed to have fallen out of love with the game, and the game, you know, the modern game seems to have passed him by a bit, and you know what worked for him 15 years ago at Chelsea doesn't now, and then. You know, he seemed to rejuvenate Spurs a bit initially. And, you know, in the, th- at the very start of the season, they were a little bit more free scoring. But now they seem to have settled into that that sort of Jose way. And I, I just, it's just almost starting to now, is this the bit where you now go into that next phase of Mourinho being your manager after that kind of honeymoon bit? And then obviously we've kind of said he's been able to take advantage of fans not being there and not being able to play the, the top way. And that was kind of all right when they were getting good results, but now they're not. And they're, so they're playing, you know, boring safety first football and not winning. And is is this the start of that that next phase of the the antagonising phase before you go into phase three, which is the inevitable sacking phase? Yeah, it is. It's a three act play. We know. We know. How it's every club, and we, I feel like now we're in we're in act two, and I, you know. I don't know what the odds are, but I wouldn't, you know, will he be their manager on this day, 12 months from now? I reckon next November, put it in your diary, he'll get the boot. Well, Khan, there's phase four as well. Sorry, act four, sign the man you Matic. <laughs> That's when you know things are bad, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, well, the other person he kept trying to sign was Eric Dyer. I think even Jose will realise he can't sign Eric Dyer this time. Um, uh, the, I think there's some truth in, in, in what Colm was just saying. I think what was interesting, to me at Man U, he never quite fully implemented the really boring Jose. He'd do it the odd game. There were a couple of games against Liverpool, weren't there, that were mm. utterly dire to oh, watch yeah. um, but generally at Manu I think he felt a bit of a pressure to to not be the old Jose way which might be why he always looks so miserable he almost looks happier to me <laughs> at Spurs because they're so negative um, which is which is when Jose feels at his best um, but yeah it'll be interesting to, to follow I, I mean look at the start of the season if you'd said to Tottenham fans top four they'd have snapped your hand off I think they're still in the mix for that so let's not you know let, let's not pretend that Spurs are in some sort of crisis. They're definitely not. They've had a, a tricky run of games. You know, Wolves away is not an easy fixture. Obviously, they, they lost at Anfield. And, um, you know, so they've had some, some tough games. Uh, they're still in a decent position in the league. But I, I think it's true that, that the flaws of, of, Chelsea, of, of Tottenham, sorry, if you're thinking about a title race, have probably... Um, been on display in the last three or four matches. I think as well. One, one thing I, I've wanted to touch on for a while, never had the chance. Like Harry Kane seems to have gone bang out of form recently as well. Yeah, they're they're very reliant on Kane and so on, aren't they, for goals? Um, and and I, I was I was going to say if you can shut those two down, you've got a chance. That's much easier said than done, obviously, because they're the top quality players. But they are very reliant on those two, and when they don't score. Um, there's not a lot of others chipping in. 
we've even got Aston Villa uh, chasing Champions League football. I mean, I, I, I mean, Matt Matt would be mad if I didn't men- mention them. They're, they're currently holding Chelsea in the the late kick off today. Um, D- Dean Smith is taking them on a really good run. They're they're going to be nowhere near at the relegation fight. Yeah, they're going to be well safe. He's having having a terrific season, doing a really, really good job. You, you'll not find me overly confident about Liverpool's title chances unless we sign a centre half. Now the transfer window swings open, and Sky and Jim White will have red and sorry, they'll have yellow and, and black everywhere before too much longer. Uh, if if we can bring in a centre half like soonish into the window, then I might feel a bit more confident. But um, at the moment, I just think we're running out of personnel in. A key position, and you know, like Fabinho's doing great. I'm I'm really pleased with him. But the other position is either a kid or um, Joel Matip, who, who now has got an abductor injury. So you'd think that's three to four weeks. Uh, we need to to act now. We can't wait till the summer. And un- until that kind of problem is dealt with, I'm going to be quite quite down on our um, on our title hopes because it's a real concern to me. The team that's got plenty of concerns at the moment is Chelsea. Um, we've kind of just touched on them, but um, they, they are on a on a bad run of form at the moment, and they, they are well off the pace. I mean, they, they're still they're still at the moment as it stands. They could go to twenty eight points, which would take them back up to fourth. But they're just not clicking. No, it's it's three away defeats on the spin, um, which is clearly not. Um... Not a great run of form, as you've said, Dan. They're, they're early in the game at the moment, nil-nil against against Villa, which is a tricky match. I think they've got Man City next, although we've already talked about whether Man City fixtures might might need to move around. Then they've got the Derby at Fulham, and then they're away at Leicester, uh, and then I think they play Wolves after that, and and Tottenham not not long after that. There's a there's a real tricky run of fixtures coming up between now and kind of the start of February for for Chelsea. And I think you're starting to see the first senses that there's some pressure on Lampard. Um, they, to me, what are we, 15 games into the season? And the things we were saying after week two and week three about Chelsea not knowing the best team still apply. Uh, and I think that was evidenced by the fact that they were not very good the first half on uh, Boxing Day at, at the Emirates. But, you know, he made two changes at half time. Now, you can say sometimes, well, that's about sending a message. And yeah, sure, fair enough. Um, but, I, like, it, it felt to me like an admission that he got the team wrong. And, uh, and I don't really know which team I should have picked moment. Um, it's interesting. I think Timo Werner's um, not in the side today, isn't he? So, uh, clearly, some of that w- wasn't just about um, performance in the first half on on Boxing Day. Um I think there is going to be pressure on Frank because of the money they spent in the summer. And he was always going to get allowed a little bit of leeway to try and mould this group into a into a team. But Chelsea need to finish in the top four. If they don't finish in the top four, having spent the money they've spent, uh, I don't think Frank Lampard will be the manager next season. So so that is where he is at in terms of the the pressure and the responsibility on him to to get some results in this tricky run that they've got coming up. Yeah, I think I think that's bang on, Paul. I think it's about that return on investment. You know, Abramovich is a businessman at the end of the day, so yeah, they will minimum requirement will be top four, given they they did spend heavily, um, and Frank will be expected to 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 mould that team one way or another. Um, even if they have perhaps signed in too much in one area and not in another, that's that's what they've done. Um, and I, and they, they've had a really strange season in a way because you know they they got sort of tore up at that you know in the first few weeks. Um, by many pundits, including us, you know, by the fact that yeah, they looked a bit of a they looked a bit of a mess, and they had had a new you know a, a large influx of players, and I think the general thing was oh you know give give Frank a few weeks to sort it out, and then let's have a look, and then all of a sudden they found some form, and they had a good October, and I think it was oh hang on are they you know are they now in a, a title race, and they were looking good for a few weeks, and you, and I think Werner was scoring was in good form. Um, he also found they, the goalkeeper you know, can. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, and, and, you know, Abraham started coming back in the team and scoring as well. And it, it seemed as though they'd found something that worked, um, but they've had a dreadful few weeks. Um, and as Paul said, they've got some, I was looking at the, their fixtures before this, and yeah, they, they don't get any easier for them anytime soon. 
Um, so they need to figure out. I do think Frank will be given the season because of his, you know, ties to the club and so on and things like that. I think that I think he'll be given the season. But yeah, if they don't finish top four, I, I think I imagine he'll, he'll pay for it with his job. I would have thought. The thing, the thing with me with Chelsea is like they, they seem to have, they signed Werner and they don't know where to play him for the best. Now, I, when when Liverpool didn't sign Werner and that that was that that seemed to be set in stone, I was apoplectic because I thought he'd be perfect for us. But watching him the way he plays for Chelsea, I'm not so sure he's got the guile to play out mm. wide, which is where he would play for for Liverpool. And I I. I they don't know what to do with Kai Havertz. They, they just don't have a, the first idea <laughs> I, I was, to play him. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, he's the one that people have really picked up on of just like, what are they doing with him? Because, yeah, there doesn't seem to be any sort of plan there at all and he doesn't seem to be enjoying himself. Um, so I'm not sure I, what will happen there, whether he'll get moved on quickly in the summer or not. I don't know. I think both have got a position problem. I, I agree with you, Dan, at the moment. Werner looks to me to be a bit short of either the pace or the guile. To, to play wide of a three in the Premier League. And he's definitely short for me of the physical presence to play as the middle of the three in the Premier League. Um, or again, you know, the intelligence. I suppose you'd, you'd look at someone like Firmino and say, well, he's not, he's not particularly a physical presence, but he's, he's an exceptionally clever footballer with great spatial awareness. And I'm not sure that's Werner at this stage either. Um, so they're a bit betwixt and between. I feel like he'd be perfect in a front two, but you know, how would you change the system to get to a front two? Chelsea want to play a 4-3-3. That's what Frank believes in. Similarly, I think Havertz would look much, much better as a number 10. But if you're playing a, a straight 4-3-3, a sort of flatter three in midfield, if you like, which is which is how Chelsea are tending to play, then there's no real role for him in that system. So I think they have been guilty, as we've all said before, of, of signing some really good players on paper, but not really having much of an idea of how they're going to mould them into an effective unit on the pitch. And I think you are seeing the um, the, the result of that. That isn't to say, Dan, that we shouldn't give Arsenal a little bit of credit for the way they played on Boxing Day. Um, it was a big improvement. Uh, it makes a difference when the, uh, the two people playing in those kind of supportive roles to the, the main centre-forward in Arsenal system run about a bit. Um, I'm not sure Williams ran anywhere uh, this season. <laughs> Apart from to the uh, bank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, don't worry, Dan. He can walk there. He's um, he's earning every second. He's moving. Um, yeah, I I think you know Arsenal played much better on Boxing Day. Hopefully, it's the start of a little revival. Um, and I think the the other thing, talking about whether whether Frank will get time and managers getting time, the other thing that will buy Arteta a bit more time at Arsenal, I think, is um, fans will be a lot more understanding of them dropping points, trying to go with the young players like Smith-Rowe and Martinelli and Saka and Willock, um, than they will be seeing Willian and Lacazette and Ceballos and some of the others who've not performed, um, sort of lumbering around looking relatively half-hearted. So uh, it, it, as much as it was a bad Chelsea performance on Boxing Day, I, th- I think Arsenal deserve um, some, some credit for their performance as well. Yeah, Arsenal decided that they were going to... It was a bit ropey for the first 20 minutes. It was it was a bit of a difficult game to settle down. But once the yeah, the game kind of calmed, I thought Arsenal were, were were well in the ascendancy when they scored. And, and the, the second goal yeah. was... I mean, it, the, the big thing I noticed about Arsenal is that they managed to keep 10 play, 11 players on the field. Well, it helps, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's amazing the things you can achieve when you've got the same amount of players. Um and, and yeah, I mean, this, uh, Chelsea came second half, as you say, Lampard kind of moved it around, stopped just short of the Jose Mourinho triple substitution. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought Arsenal were, were well worth the win and it, it will be a, a big lift for them. I, I always think that I, I, you look at Arsenal and you know you have a conversation about which players you'd take. Martinelli, for me, is one of them that I always look at and think he's definitely got something. Um and, yeah. and Saka. I, well. I think, yeah, I think Martinelli and Saka are arguably our, our, our two best players, Dan. So, um, or, you know, obviously Aubameyang's still a, a class act, albeit he's not, he's not had a great season. Uh, and, and the centre-half um, we signed, who's now got 
COVID or is self-isolating because of COVID or something, is a decent player. And I'm led to believe Thomas Partey is a decent player as well, but I'm starting to think he might be a figment, figment of my imagination. <laughs> uh, so little have we actually seen him play. Um, but, but I certainly think Saka and Martinelli are the two, if you're Arsenal, who you hang your hat on and say, right, well, these are going to be part of the solution. Is, is it Saliba who's, who's had... Um... He's self-isolating because from what we were talking about the other day, it sounds like he's been self-isolating all season because we've not seen sight and the sound of him. Yeah, something very, very weird going on. I think we have touched on it before, but I, I just don't think Mikel Arteta rates him, Dan. I think it comes down to that. He wasn't Arteta signing. He wasn't Edu signing. Neither of them were in the building when the decision to buy him was made. He's very highly rated. There's lots of people who say he's going to be a top, top centre-half at the moment, when you go into that game against Chelsea on Boxing Day and you're willing to go with Pablo Mari and Rob Holding rather than rather than look at him, and I know he's not actually in a Premier League squad, so we couldn't have done. But but you know, I mean, the decision to to trust those players over him has been made, and um, that suggests to me that there's there's something not quite not quite right there. It's very likely he will go out on loan in January. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that he's moved on completely in the summer. Uh, have, there's something very odd going on. Can, can we have him on loan? <laughs> I, well, I, so my preference, Dan, is I think if you're going to loan him out, Arsenal should loan him to the Premier League if they have any future for him. If they think he might become the player they want, then loan him out into the Premier League. If they loan him to a club in Holland, which is the rumour, what are we learning about whether he can play in the Premier League or not? Well, that's normal. I think there might be a copyright problem that it's normally Chelsea who loan the players to Holland, isn't it? <laughs> he's not going to Vitesse is he now that, that's something very strange is going on if that's the case I think PSV was the rumour I'd, I'd seen so not Vitesse I kind of feel a bit nervous mentioning this because we play Newcastle next um, Covid um, accepting but it feels to me it looks to me like there's a, an increasing amount of pressure growing on Steve Bruce Newcastle fans are kind of getting a bit ticked off at um the, the negativity, you know, the, the negative tactics. For me, I think Steve Bruce has done a good job at Newcastle. I'm not too sure how much further we can take them, but I think what's what's tipped them over the edge is it's kind of like I said about how Evertonians would accept being seventh or eighth in the league if they had a run at the Cups. Newcastle lost 1-0 at Brentford, and I think that was kind of got the fans thinking you know like we're not going anywhere here we're not challenging for anything and I, th- I think I think it's the Brentford game which has kind of turned momentum against Steve Bruce yeah it's a funny one with with obviously not having fans in the ground this season it's it's difficult to gauge you know exactly what the feelings are but I know there's been rumblings all through the season about sort of style of play negativity lack of ambition and it seems that pressure is increasing more now or becoming more more vocal I mean I think you look at the you look at the league table, there doesn't seem to be a, a huge problem necessarily. Um, but obviously, as someone that I don't watch loads of Newcastle, um, but yeah, from, from the people that do, <laughs> clearly they're, they're saying that, yeah, it's, um, you know, that, that they just don't ever seem to really try and have a go and, and, and they are too negative. And I, I think, you know, Bruce has got a bit of a balancing act because Newcastle are a bit of a troubled club in a lot of ways you know we know about you know ownership issues and it always seems to be a bit of a soap opera so I think there's an element of he's he's trying to do the you know what he can with with what he's got but um you know equally I think Newcastle fans are probably used to expecting slightly more um you know exciting attacking football and I think that they're not expecting them to you know sort of swashbuckle the way through the league I think they know you know those those days were, were brief and a long gone now, but I think they just want to see, you know, a bit more positivity, which is perhaps not not unreasonable. Um, but it's it's a difficult sort of quandary for <laughs> for Bruce to deal with. Um, I know he's never ne- necessarily been known for playing, you know, sort of hugely um, attacking football necessarily. So I don't necessarily know what what fans were were expecting. But uh, in these sort of uncertain times, if if you like, it is actually just having a bit of a safety first approach for for now. Maybe not such a bad thing. I don't know. Um, but then, as I say, I'm not obliged to watch Newcastle once or twice a week, so maybe that's clouding my uh, my view on it a little bit. And I, you know, as as a as a former United player, I always feel a bit of sympathy for Bruce. And I think he's overall he's a he's a good guy um, and and you know and a, and a decent enough manager. But um, yeah, I think Newcastle fans are known for sometimes being a bit a bit demanding. So maybe there's a bit of that in there as well. But um, yeah, I don't know what don't know what you think, Paul. 
Well, I, I, I think Steve Bruce is, is trying to sort of speak an element of truth to fans, which is that where Newcastle are in the current sort of football pecking order is they are a club for whom survival in the Premier League is the objective. Um, now, that is not a message Newcastle fans want to hear. It's not a message that's ever going to go down well. But I think Steve Bruce is right when he says that. And unless the ownership situation changes and we went through yet another failed takeover over the, over the summer and, and, and earlier this year, um, unless that changes, that is the position for Newcastle. Now, if Steve Bruce keeps them up this year, and I think he probably will, and I don't think it'll be pretty, but I think we'll survive, then he's achieved that objective. You, you, the the point that's been made, I think Dan made it about you know fans wanting a cup run is absolutely right. That's they're desperate at Newcastle to go deep in the cup competitions. I think most fans understand, even if they don't quite agree with Bruce, that the objective is just survival. Most Newcastle fans are realistic enough to understand that they're not going to be competing in the top seven or eight of this Premier League at this moment in time. They're going to be a sort of mid-table type team but they're desperate for a run in the Cups. And um, losing to a championship side, albeit a very good championship side, as, as we all know Brentford are, um, and albeit that you know Newcastle have still got players who are suffering from after-effects of COVID and their squad's reduced, and you know Lascelles, who is a captain and probably their best centre-half, and then uh, St Maxim, who is their most creative player, and neither are in the side at the moment, and it was a bit of a... Uh, cobbled together team that went to Brentford um, that that has annoyed the supporters and, and understandably so and uh, it leaves them in this difficult position now as to really their season is about trying to play out another mid-table finish I think Steve Bruce is right that that's his that's the expectations that were set for him um, but I also think Newcastle fans are entitled to say well hang on a minute once we start just settling for this, we're playing Russian roulette with that season where suddenly you just have a few bad results and you're in the mire. And they know that. They've been relegated twice in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. They, they understand that it can happen. Um, and, uh, and I think that's the kind of tension between where the supporters are at, trying to be realistic, but saying, come on, we're, you know, we can't keep playing roulette with the with the Premier League status and where the, the club are at, which is an owner who has made it clear that he's ready to sell and a manager who probably knows that while this is the biggest job he's going to get, it's a job he won't have if the new ownership that is needed to drive the club forward actually comes in. So there's lots of difficult um, relationships at Newcastle. And I, I think Steve Bruce at times doesn't get the, the credit and the patience he deserves but that's because of these really um, difficult times the club is living through in terms of the status of the owner, the manager, the supporters and everyone else. There's a, there's a lot of moving pieces at Newcastle, isn't there, With in terms of like, the, 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 they can't compete at the level that they, they should really. You know, they've got one of the biggest stadiums in the country and I think you've, you've touched on, on this, Paul, saying that it, it means a lot to the people of Newcastle. The club means a lot to the people of Newcastle. Yeah, it, it's it's a great city. I love it. It's one of my favourite cities in the country. It's a great football club. Um, the supporters up there are brilliant. Um, there's no better night out, in my opinion, in the United Kingdom than a night out in Newcastle after the Geordies have won at home, especially later in you know in the season when it's dark nights come on early and you come down off that hill having watched the game and and straight into the pubs of the town and there's a fantastic atmosphere on those nights and um i love it up there it's one of my favorite stadiums in the country um i'd love to see them doing better but but ultimately uh they are where they are and the passion of the fan base um you know in and of itself, is not going to be enough to change that position. The only thing I'll say about St James's Park is you need a Sherpa to get to the away end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite high up. The hill walking down from the stadium is nothing compared to the, the climb up it to get to your seat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Kind of a f- frequent guests on our podcast, um, Sheffield United, um, I, I, again, they've had a a pretty miserable Christmas. They were quite unlucky to not win at Brighton um, just just before um, they, they were undone by a, a late goal. 
I think that was you know, like what where, where did they go from here? Because at, at this rate, they're, they're looking like they're going to go the whole season without a win. Yeah, I, I think they're in real danger of that, Dan, because they look to me as though they've almost accepted their fate a little bit. Um, and I feel for Chris Wilder, and we've talked about the job he's done in this podcast a lot, and it's it's been fantastic. But you know, the amount of work rate that they put into games last season is much easier to maintain when you're picking up results because you feel like you're running your guts out and it's getting you somewhere. And it's really hard when you're running your guts out and it's not getting you anywhere to dust yourself down and go and do the same again on Wednesday and the same again on Saturday and the same again on Tuesday. It just becomes a really, really difficult thing. And I think the players are showing some signs now of not of not trying or of giving up, but of just looking like they are working hard without ever expecting to come to anything. Um, and they're in a bleak, bleak position. I mean, they're, they're sitting there two points after 15 games. I don't know how many other Premier League teams in the history of the, of the Premiership have, have got to 20 games and only had two points. I suspect no one has ever done that and stayed up. Um they're in real, real trouble. And if if Burnley were to get a, a win this this sort of you know round of fixtures, as it were, uh, then the gap almost becomes insurmountable. It, it, it'd be if Burnley win that one game in hand that they've got, uh, and the gap becomes fourteen points. You just you just can't see Sheffield United possibly digging the way out of that. No, I think it, it just looks really really grim for them and you know feels feel sorry for Sheffield United fans and it's just such a strange one they were such a great addition to the league last year and you know we, you know second season syndrome as it's known is a you know it has claimed claimed many many a club but this this it's it's almost quite sad watching it in a way um sort of unfold and you know we hope that they might at least be able to pick up a few results so it isn't quite the sort of embarrassment and uh, the only people that are probably pleased, aside from maybe Sheffield Wednesday fans, are Derby, Derby County fans. Um, not that we want to talk about Derby too much on this podcast, but because um, obviously they have the current uh, lowest lowest total. But I think even they had more points at this point <laughs> of the season when when they went down with uh, what was it eleven, I think, um, yeah. which is the current record. So um, and I think even they won one game. Yeah, um, they did. They won one. They won one game on a Monday night at home, and I can't think who it was against. I, I think it might be Newcastle, you know. I think it maybe might it be was. Newcastle. I'd, I'd have to check, but um, but yeah. So it, it is. It is grim, and you know, feel sorry for, for for Chris Wilder. He did, you know, he has done, you know, a great job there. And you know, you imagine at some point, you know, I don't know, would they would they try and rebuild? You know, would they accept the fate, go down and try and rebuild with him because of all the reasons why he got them up? You know, I don't know, or will it just be a point where actually they just need a clean break and a fresh start? someone at the club will have to make that decision if it hasn't been made already, I guess. Uh, maybe they'll see what he can do over the next couple of months. Um, and then, you know, we'll have to wait and see how that unfolds. But yeah, it is It is a shame to see it, uh, you know, sort of happen this way. I, I think it was pretty, you know, fairly unexpected. I don't think anyone, you know, like I say, teams having a slightly dodgier second season isn't isn't unheard of. But for it to be quite this bad, uh, or this, this sort of acute, if you like, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite, quite like it before. Um, it's a shame for them. I just, I just wonder if. So, and this is I mean, as 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 well documented. I really like Chris Wilder. Are the Sheffield United players getting a bit sick of his? We won one nil, but we weren't very good. Kind of almost negativity, constant like downplaying of of their abilities, or you know, it just feels to me as though some of his his techniques might be getting a little bit old on the players and they're certainly not going to dig them out of the position that they're in at the moment yeah I I wonder as well and we've touched on this before Danny's system is quite unusual and and it sort of almost took the Premier League a bit by surprise last year but you know the reason the managers that that work in the Premier League work in the Premier League is because they're some of the best in the world and uh, they they weren't going to be taken by surprise the second time and and so there's definitely a, a, an element of that. Whether it's stopped having the same impact on his own players is a is a fair question. I I expect Sheffield United will not want to get rid of him. They'll want to stick with him. But does it get to a point when it's so embarrassing if you've only got 
five points come March that that somebody panics and makes a decision. Um, it's really, really difficult one. I mean, Chris Wilder's done an, an amazing job there. Uh, but at the same time, can you lose every single week and and still say, well, he's the right manager? I, it becomes yeah. difficult. It, if they were going down this season, but they were competitive, I think you absolutely, there'd be no question about it, Chris Wilder would be safe. The problem is they're not competitive at the moment. They've got two points after 15 games. And, and does there come a point if you've got five points after 25 games um, and you've still not won one, let's say, uh, it becomes really difficult to keep saying, no, 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 this is the right guy when you're getting beat every Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking, Paul, as well. It just becomes really, really, even though perhaps the club would know they might not even be able to get anyone incrementally better than him as such because he is you know and, and I'm sure he'll get even despite this season uh, you know we might have to wait a bit of time but I'm sure he'll get you know another 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 decent job because I think people realize what he did you know to start with at, at Sheffield United but I think it is that almost like embarrassing point of do we need to make a decision to sort of as a face saving exercise more than anything um to show that the you know to show almost a degree of that the club aren't content with the way the way it is it's almost a bit of a statement um even if it might actually do them more long-term harm potentially um by hiring you know having because then it's like well then it becomes a question of well who do you then get you know like who's gonna you know who who are you gonna get to come in at a, a club that might go down with you know potentially a you know a single points total um and, and potentially the lowest points total that then becomes a task for you know quite a big task for any you know new manager and then i imagine there's a smaller pool of people who were then you know willing to to, to go in and, and take that job and of course um a lot of the lma troubleshooters are out of uh are, are in work at the moment <laughs> they're, they're out of soccer saturday and in work i don't i don't think tp is going to cross the divide big sam's unfortunately busy that's true there's uh there's always the gilet. There's always the gilet. <laughs> I, 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 forbid. I, I really don't think there's a, a situation where Tim Sherwood gets a Premier League job again, Calm. <laughs> well, I was thinking more in the in the Championship, but yeah, and I, I know you know, either way. Well, well, my, my point still stands. Let's just let's just take Premier League and just say football. <laughs> Tim, Tim Sherwood might well be a Premier League winning captain. However, he doesn't belong in the Premier League dugouts. Unless, unless it's something to do with throwing in a kettle over a pub or something. Yeah, but he, he could bring some dominancy, Dan. <laughs> yeah, aerial dominancy. I just don't. I, I just don't see Sheffield United winning that first ball. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, if if we kind of move on then to the our, our kind of weekly look at the football league, I know I know you two have got um, a couple of things lined up, but what one team I want to mention who have have really started to mortar. A team I watched carefully because I really wanted them to come up last season um, is Brentford. They, they seem to have kind of gotten... They, they had a bit of a slow start. They've kind of gotten over the malaise of not being promoted and they are ascending the championship at a rate of knots. Um, they're currently fourth, a point off top spot. Sorry, a, a point off second spot. Um, it's really good to see them competing and I would love to see Brentford come up. Yeah, they they had a slow start, Dan. But you have to remember as well. They you know they sold Ollie Watkins. They sold the boy who went to West Ham as well. On loan. Um, went to where? Sorry, he went on loan in a bizarre kind of. Yeah, on on, on loan. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, so they lost a, a couple of their best players from last season. Uh, right, right towards the the, the start of the championship. So they were going to have a difficult start. They brought Ivan Tony in to, to provide some of the goals that they'd lost and um, he's done okay and they have sort of increasingly um, improved as the season's gone on. I think they're a very good football team. They play the right way. They, they're going to be close again. Um, and, and yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they come up. Uh, I think the other... You go down one league, Dan, and I think the the result of Boxing Day really was, was Lincoln absolutely hammering uh, Burton at home on uh, on Boxing Day and I think it was 5-1 in the end and Lincoln at top of the league now in League One and you think where that club's come from in a few short years from being out of the football league to to sitting here on Boxing Day with a real genuine chance of, of getting into the championship for next season. I mean, it's an incredible story uh, and they, they're they not 
a poor club by by comparison with some of the clubs in that league. But they're, they're not money bags either. They've got a lot of players in on loan, and um, they're just doing really really well. And and I think it's it'd be fantastic to see uh, them sort of make sure they they finish it off with with a promotion at the end of it, uh, because the story of of how the club sort of rebuilt itself is fantastic. Got a lot of time for Lincoln. Uh, I, I, it's mostly because of I, I, you know, I know a fan of theirs, um, a friend of of yours as well, Paul. Um, mm. So they're a team I've always watched since. I kept an eye out for the results since the days of Keith Alexander. Uh, another another team, uh, incidentally, who, who um, were red and white stripes, same as Lincoln, same as Brentford, is uh, your your friends Stoke City. Um, they appear to be. I mean, they've they've had a, a much better run recently, and they find themselves knocking around the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's nice to see them. Uh, you know, they seem to become a lot more settled. Um, you know, under uh, under O'Neill, and um, he seems to be doing a really good job there. And I think you know the fans are really happy with him. They've obviously had a bit of a revolving door um, of managers over the last couple of years, but they seem to have found someone. Um, who's come in with you know a, a bit of a plan and, and made some you know tough decisions around personnel and um, sort of sorting out some of the the overpriced tat that Stoke bought when they went into that kind of panic buying. <laughs> oh God, we're going to get relegated, and then oh God, we want to get promoted really quickly, and just made some pretty poor decisions um, in the transfer market, as you know, as as happens. And you know they are a club that did have some money. And it's a shame they've unfortunately wasted it because now they perhaps have some of the right people in who could who could spend it much better. As it is, he's having to um, you know sort of feed off off scraps and try and get sort of loans in or you know sort of smaller smaller transfer fee signings um, to try and bolster the squad. But but they're up there in in, in amongst you know just just out I think the seventh at the moment, just outside the, the playoffs and the the points gap around there is is pretty uh, is pretty tight so fingers crossed they can try and stay in contention because it, it's it's good good to see them up and about there i'm not a particular stoke fan necessarily ne- never have been but you know they are my, my hometown and i do obviously know as a result a few a few stoke fans as well um including my brother so it's it's, it's nice for them to have a bit of positivity because it did look you know when almost looked like they might uh, sort of double drop at one point and go down again which would have been a bit of a disaster for them um, a similar, like another red and white striped team, Sunderland, <laughs> um, that's been well well documented. So thankfully they managed to avoid that. Um, and hopefully now this is a sign up, you know, whether they'll make the playoffs or get promoted this season, I don't know. But it feels like there's now a bit of momentum there and that they're, they're building in the right direction again. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they crack on in the second half of the season. I think they currently seem to be nil-nil draw specialists, which, uh, you know, suggests they might want to... Uh, correct that a bit because they don't seem to score loads of goals um i think there's a lot of nil nils and one nils um so they probably will need to look at that uh maybe in in january potentially um and see if they can add a bit more firepower up front but um yeah we'll see how they get on uh, interesting you should say that con i believe um they have the most clean sheets of any club in the country in 2020. So basically, in the calendar year that, that right. was in there, I think he arrived just before Christmas, didn't he, last year? Yeah. Um, they've played 46 games, League and Cup. Uh, and, and this was before the Boxing Day game, so now 47. 23 clean sheets, so that's now 24. They're basically keeping a clean sheet every other game, which is mm-hmm. a pretty good starting point for a, a team that's trying to challenge at the top end of the league. Um I think they've got they've got some of the right sorts of characters in as well. Um not just in the in the manager's chair but but I think in the team they've brought some of the signings as you said previously that were a little bit sort of panic buy type moves when they first come out of the Premier League. I think they've they've settled it down a little bit and they've made some uh some better additions this time round and and sort of have a team that's a bit more uh got some better characters in it people like James Chester who has been a good defender at that sort of lower premier league top of the championship level for a long time and uh, um, it, it's no surprise that he's part of that kind of defensive uh revival if you like and and that's really been fundamental they they they, they are struggling a little bit at the other end of the pitch for goals i think other than Campbell they haven't got any people who are 
who are sort of contributing regularly goal scoring wise and and that might be the thing that they look to try and get someone on loan possibly in January isn't he out um, for the season as well I, I, be, I, I believe so I, I know it, I, I haven't seen that it's definitely the season Dan but you may well be right I know it's a it's an injury that they don't expect to be short term put it that way um and uh I don't know if Newcastle would let him go, given the situation they're in at the moment, but if I was Stoke, I'd try and get Dwight Gale on loan. The further he was away from Liverpool, the better, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I think Dwight I think Dwight would score the goals to get Stoke, at least into the playoffs. If we, if we look at, and, and I know you, you, you've both mentioned this as well, you wanted to speak about the, the, the other team in, in that area. Um, Port Vale have won one in ten, which was which practically caused a destruction of my laptop because it was a 6-3 win at Bolton. That was the, the one win in ten. Yeah, it's um, so you know the other club in the potteries and against uh, Khan and I are both from that area, and um, I think at the start of the season I said on on maybe our preview podcast that I I thought Vale were one of the teams to keep an eye on in League Two. They had a good season last year under under John Askey, and I thought they were building towards a, a sort of promotion push. Uh, I think they were the fifth or sixth favourites in the in the betting to to win that division, and they won six of the first ten. And you thought this is a team that's going somewhere. Now they have had some injuries, and um, that hasn't helped. But as you say, it's one win now in ten. They lost two nil at home to Barrow on Boxing Day, and all of a sudden they're sort of sixteenth or seventeenth and looking over their shoulder. And um, uh, that's a situation that again I, I I'm not one to come on here and kind of call for the sackings of managers, but. Uh, and you know John Askey is well known in the in the Stoke-on-Trent Staffordshire sort of football community, and and he's someone who's got a lot of respect locally, and and did a great job at Macclesfield. But um, he he will be a bit edgy, I think, at the moment because Vale certainly cannot afford to go down. Their finances have been uh, tight for pretty much as long as I can remember, to be honest, Dan, and uh, they cannot afford to lose the revenue of being in the Football League. So if that relegation zone starts to creep in and Stevenage and, and sort of Southport have been the saving grace for every other club in that league, uh, sorry, Stevenage and, and Southend, not Southport, um, but Southend have, have just picked up a couple of results recently and now those teams sort of 15th and below will just be looking a little bit over their shoulders and... Uh, they all, if they can't turn it around quickly, are going to be in that in that mix, and it's a real surprise to me because I, I thought they were going to have a good season. Um, and it's it's a strange league, league two. Once you get once you get into a bit of a rut, I think it's one of the hardest leagues to kind of fight your way out of that rut because every game is really contested and and it's a battle, and you've got to be willing to kind of be physical and win the the first balls and win the second balls in order to give yourself the opportunity to play. And once confidence goes, that, that can be really, really difficult. Well, um, John Rudge is never too far away if needed. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 well, we he Rudgey, crossed the divide, though, didn't he? He crossed the divide. <laughs> he did. He went and worked at Stoke after Vale sacked him. <clears throat> he, was the, uh, he was the director of football at Stoke. For, mm. I don't think he still is. I think he's, he's left now. But um, uh, I think he's actually... I think he has a role at Port Vale again now, Rudge, but in a kind of sort of ambassadorial sense. Um, mm. He's uh, he's a little bit old, I imagine, to be retaking the, uh, yeah, the dugout. Yeah, he's getting on a bit now. <laughs> but he was famous for the flat cap back in the day. He was one of the last managers to to sport the flat cap in the dugout. Look, it was him and Alan Ball were sort of <laughs> the two people who stuck with it long after it had stopped being fashionable. Was was Martin Foyle? Martin Foyle's had a go. Uh, that didn't work out. <laughs> Does it seem as though much has stuck at the Vale, to be honest? No, I mean, since since John Rudge, and, and obviously John Rudge had a really, really long spell at Port Vale. He was there a long, long time. But since Rudge, they've gone through managers. I mean, if someone's lasted two seasons, you'd call it a sort of lifetime. Uh, they have gone through managers extremely quickly before they've got to ASCII. Um And a number of them, uh, have been people who were players in that in that John Rudge team, that really good team that John Rudge had in the mid nineties. Quite a few of his ex players from that era have had a go in the management seat. I think Dean Glover's had a go, Martin Foyle's had a go. Um I think there were, you know, Andy Porter might even have had a spell. 
Uh, I think Mickey Adams has maybe been in charge twice. Neil Aspin, who was in that team's had a spell. So yeah, they've they've gone through managers at a sort of alarming rate really since since the point that that Rudge left. Um, and uh, they're now in that situation where it's it might be time to start looking for another one. I, I, I hope not. I hope they can turn it round, but they, they cannot afford to get relegated. As as you could say about almost any club at that that League Two level, um, other than the ones who very recently come up from the the National League and could probably relatively quickly revert to that sort of uh, National League financing model. The clubs who are established football league clubs, it is horrific when you drop out of the football league. The financial implications are just so stark. Um, and you, you've seen how difficult it can be to come back. I mean, Lincoln were out for a number of years. You look at clubs like Torquay, etc., who've been long-established football league clubs and then drop out Wrexham or another one. And it, it's just not as easy as, OK, make a few signings, we'll be back next year. It, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, Grim, Grim's been out for a while as well, and they're hovering around the relegation zone again. Yeah, and Ian Holloway's resigned now, hasn't he? Um, it, it, Ian Holloway took over as kind of manager and was going to be part owner, and then that all seems to have gone a bit wrong, and he's resigned. So, yeah, um, it's such an interesting league, League Two. It, it really is a bit of a wild west um, because you've got pretty much every club in the league is running at a loss. Uh, and and is doing so in the knowledge that you have to because if you don't, if you try and cut your cloth accordingly and run at a break-even point, you've got absolutely no chance of having a side good enough to stay up. Um, and the financial impacts of going down are worse than the financial impacts of running at a loss in the football league. If you may, if that makes any sense, and and it, it's just you know, it, it's something maybe we come back to in a in a more more detailed look in a in a later show. But it's it's a wild west of a league. Thing is, as well, um, COVID is making that worse as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because there's only there's only a, is, is it ten teams in the whole country who've got fans in at the moment? It can't be much more than that, can it? Given that tier four seems to be everywhere now. Tier four wasn't a thing a week and a half ago, but now <laughs> now we're all in it. I mean, like the. the the, the the next Liverpool game at Anfield is Manchester United, which, judging by the statistics, I would be eligible to go to. But Liverpool aren't going to be in tier two by then, because the whole country's going into lockdown pretty imminently. You would think. Sorry to make this the COVID cast. <laughs> <laughs> no, feel, I, think, feel, I think you're right, though, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to ask Professor Sar- Carol Sicori what he thinks. <laughs> Um, and, and with that, gents, we've we've come to the end of our last show of 2020. It's been um, a very enjoyable six months. I've had some interesting guests, and we'll be getting some more on in the the coming weeks. Uh, certainly, it sounds as though we're all going to have more time available. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's well, been good. Um, <laughs> Go on, I, I wish all our all our listeners a, a happy new year, Dan, and um, we'll do our best to try and. Uh, keep them with with something to listen to and talk about in in 2021 well the thing with football there's something's always happening somewhere there's there's always some someone doing something worthy of of talking i I meant i meant to get a a dig at uefa before because we were talking about the sense of it not going cross-continent for the three euro 2020 in in 2021 and of course we all know uefa are well known for their common sense (laughs) And True. Uh, um, so, thank you very much, gents. A happy new year to to you, um, to all our listeners. A happy new year to you too. And we'll be back. Uh, we, as far as I know, it'll be be next Monday as, as usual. Um, and it's the, the the magic of the FA Cup, which is something that Paul and Cam know is a, a term that I absolutely love and can't get enough of. <laughs> uh, so, thank you very much. Um, happy Happy New Year. Stay safe. And I'll catch you next week.